The following audio is from Life Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. For more information about our church, please visit lifebaptistchurch.com. So in the 1903 novel, Conrad in Quest of His Youth, there is a scene that matches many people's perspective on prayer. So Conrad asked this man, Mr. Erickson, the question, Do you think that prayers are ever answered? And he went on to elaborate. He said, In my life, I have sent up many prayers and always with the attempt to persuade myself that some former prayer had been fulfilled. But I knew in my heart none ever had been. And Mr. Erickson thought for just a moment and he replied, Once I was passing with a friend and we came to a ladder that was leaning against a house. In stepping to the outer side of it, my friend lifted his hat to it. You may know the superstition. He was a university man, a man of considerable attainments. I said, is it possible that you believe in that nonsense? And he said, no, I don't exactly believe in it, but I never throw away a chance. Mr. Erickson's inflection changed and he said, I think that most people pray on that principle. They don't fully believe in it, but they never throw away a chance. What a great insight into how many people approach prayer. And that is many people, Christian or non-Christian, they put prayer maybe in a category of religious ritual or possibly skeptical hope. All too often people pray with the mentality, I don't know if this is going to help, but it's definitely not going to hurt. So they pray anyway. It's a spiritual way of hedging your bets, so to speak. Prayer becomes one of many things that people do in order to get what they want or for that matter to accomplish what they desire. If getting what they want means crossing their fingers and wishing upon a lucky star, then that's exactly what people do. If it means consulting a medium or bribing the opposition, that is what people might do. If it means manipulating circumstances or checking a horoscope or praying then that's what people might do. And we find that prayer many times just becomes one of many means that a person is using in order to accomplish what they want. Now, there might be some mature believers in the room that are saying, Paul, none of those things are biblical. I would never do something like that. And I agree, those are not biblical. But what we do is something similar. We go through and change it to do something that is just as superstitious but it's more acceptable in religious circles. For example, instead of crossing our fingers, some believers will wear a cross necklace and kiss it for good luck in that moment. Instead of wishing on a star, we claim a verse out of context and just hope God's not paying attention at that moment. Instead of consulting a medium, we will find out what does the latest Christian celebrity have to say on this. Instead of bribing the opposition, we just guilt people into action through religious manipulation. Instead of checking a horoscope, we allow our Bible to just fall open with our eyes closed and we point. And then we claim whatever that is, like that's God's word for me in this moment. Oh, oh yeah, and we pray. Like we want to make sure that we're covering our bases. So I've got two very personal questions and they're actually both linked together. So here's the first Do you really believe in the power of prayer? And if you're not sure, here's my second one. 
Or are you just hedging your bets because you're unwilling to throw away a chance? Today we enter into our week of prayer, and it is one week before Easter Sunday. I have been praying about this particular week for a number of months right now. And just to kind of let you all know what God has been doing, as of this morning, there are people in 63 cities in 12 nations that are joining us for prayer in this week. And I, I cannot tell you how many people have just signed up and they just put their entire church in that they're going to be praying with us during this period of time. And, and here's what we're asking God to do. We are asking God to use this week in order to do a work in us and through us and to accomplish His will around us. We are asking God to use this week to raise up the next generation of praying men and women of God, the next generation of prayer warriors. We are asking God to use this week in order to help us so that we pray persistently in faith and with focus. We're asking God to remind us in this week about His unlimited power and His ability to do whatever He desires. That's what we're asking God to do, that He is going to work in cities and work in our nation and work in churches and in the hearts of believers. We're asking God to do something incredible. But here's the thing. All of that is hinging on what we believe about prayer. If we've not settled up front what we believe to be true about prayer, we often go through the motions. We might engage in the activity, but it's because we just are unwilling to throw away a chance. So I'm going to tell you my goal from the very beginning. Here's my goal that I'm hoping that God is going to accomplish through this service and through this week. I'm praying today that people walk away from this message completely convinced of the power of God. And I am also praying that people walk away today fully confident that God can do abundantly beyond anything that we ask or think. So I'm going to teach one truth from two very simple texts. Here it is. Here's your key truth for the day. God can do, we should ask. God can do, we should ask. Now, now what does that mean? Before we even read the text, what does it mean God can do? It means God can do what we can't do. God can do what is impossible for us to do. God can do anything that He desires, even if we are immobilized in fear. God can save your spouse. God can heal your body. God can set your loved ones free from addiction. God can lift your depression and give you insight and direction for your life. God can heal cities through the power of the gospel. God can send revival that sweeps across this nation and around the world. God can do it. God is unlimited in His abilities. But many times we are anemic in our prayers. Here's your key truth again. God can do, we should ask. God can do, we should ask. If you would, look with me in our first passage. It's going to be in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19. The words are going to be on the screen behind me. It's verse number 26. I'm going to read this one text, and I'm going to walk through it. It's going to be half the message on this text. The other half will be coming in a few moments. I will read Ephesians chapter 3 in just a moment. But each text provides an essential part of what we need to know for our key truth for this morning. So here's the text, Matthew chapter 19, verse number 26. And looking at them, Jesus said to them, 
With people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that we walk away with a view that you can do the impossible. I pray today that we walk away fully convinced of the power of prayer. I pray today that we walk away from this time, this message, this service. And Lord, we begin to pray bold prayers again. There's been caution that's come into our prayer life at many times. I'm praying, God, that you lift the lid of our prayer life so that we come before you saying, God, would you do more than I can even imagine in this? God, we need you in order to help us even to see that that's possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been within the church for any period of time, that's one of those things that's easy to say, yes. I, I believe that. Nothing is impossible for God. Our God is sovereign. He is unlimited in His ability. Nothing is impossible for God. But we can functionally forget that truth when we are excessively busy, under pressure, or if things are not going our way. When I say functionally forget, what I mean by that is although we know it to be true, we function in the moment as though it were not. There's no greater picture for us to see that God can do the impossible than what we find in this particular text in Matthew chapter 19. The context here is that of salvation. Salvation tells this story of how God transitions a person from being absorbed in their sin to a place of repentance over their sin, to a place of trusting Jesus as the answer for their sin. All of this is something that only God can do. Only God can bring salvation. Only God can bring spiritual life out of spiritual death. Only God can do that. So this is a great text for us to start with in prayer. And somebody might say, well, Paul, of all places, like if, if we're in church already, we're already saved. Let's move on to us doing the other impossible things over here. Let's, let's look at what God can do in prayer in another category. But here's the reason I wanted us to start there. Many believers have this false assumption that God has never done the miraculous in their life. Lord willing, by the time you're finished with this text, you're going to see that he has. Our salvation moment is often the very first moment that we recognize that God did the miraculous for us. And I want you to see that in this text. So here's what's going on in this story. There is this young leader, a young ruler, who comes to Jesus and he's seeking eternal life. And this guy seems to have it all together. He is young, he is rich, and he is powerful. And at the same time, verses 16 through 20 tells us that he's moral and he's religious. I mean, this is a stand-up type of a guy. This is one of those guys that we just assume he's just right outside the gates of heaven. He's just about to get saved. Have you all ever done that? You kind of make your own classifications in your mind about who is really close to salvation and who is not even remotely close to salvation? It's kind of like you look at one person and they seem to be pretty moral and they're asking the right questions, they're going to the right places, and you think it's just a matter of time. Like God's about to take this person's life. He's going he's to save them. And then you look at their friend, you're like, that dude's a hellion. 
Like, it's going to be a miracle if that person ever gets saved. I mean, not only are they, like, deep in sin, it's like they're a professional sinner. Like, they take joy in sin. They make money on sin. You're you're thinking, man, if it's ever going to happen, God's going to have to do a miracle to save that person. Here's what you walk away with this story recognizing. It takes a miracle to save anyone. Anyone, not just the ones you think are far from God, to save anyone. For salvation to occur, God has to step in and change the natural sinful course of a person's life. He has to clear out deception and bring in truth. He has to awaken a dead spirit that is bent on rebellion against Him. He has to create a desire in a person to come to him when everything in that person's sin nature is stay away from God. And then if that's not enough, God chooses in his infinite wisdom and sovereignty to use missionally challenged, often self-absorbed, evangelistically awkward believers to share the gospel message for that person to get saved. It's a miracle that anybody gets saved. When you look at what has to happen for that to occur, this is a story that reminds us of exactly that. Here's a guy who's asking the right questions to the right person. And here's what you find. He was not able to overcome self-reliance and self-righteousness. Both of those were barriers to him experiencing eternal life. He wanted eternal life, but he wanted his riches and he wanted his righteousness even more. He was unwilling to release what he had for what he could receive. So that's what it says in verse 23 when Jesus says, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus is not saying that there is a problem inherently with wealth or riches. It's not sinful. It's not bad. It's not wrong. But wealth can often lead to self-reliance. And self-reliance will keep a person separated from God. As long as we're relying on ourselves and on our resources, we don't rely on Him. And did you know that's even hard to change after you're a believer? It's a massive barrier for a person even experiencing salvation to begin with. But that thought life, that self-reliance, that I can do it myself, it doesn't go away when a person gets saved. Now God has to transform their mind so instead of relying upon themselves, they learn to rely upon Him. So I don't know if you remember the text. It's found over in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. But that is the exact state of an entire church, the church of Laodicea. They said, here's their words, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. But they didn't realize that Scripture says they were spiritually wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Self-reliance is a deceptive barrier to a person relying upon God. Now, in light of salvation, self-reliance is not just hard for a person to overcome. It is impossible for that person to overcome. Jesus said in verse 24, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Unless God reveals our need for Him, then we continue to depend upon ourselves and upon our resources. So the rich young ruler in this story was unwilling to fully trust Jesus for eternal life. 
Now, when the disciples saw what was happening, they're even more confused than ever. They actually say, then who can be saved? Like, if this dude is not a prime candidate for salvation, who else is better than this guy? Who else can be saved? And that's when Jesus says in verse 26, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. In other words, God can change a heart even when the heart is still bent in rebellion against him. Is that not exactly what he did with the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus? The Apostle Paul wasn't going to church that day. The Apostle Paul was going in order to threaten the lives to imprison followers of Jesus Christ. He was in the process of that, and God stopped him on the road to Damascus and changed his heart in an instant. That's what our God can do. Our God is able to do what we could never imagine. God can get people to see what they've refused to see. God can remove deception and replace it with truth. God can make a dead spirit live. God is the only one who can do it. So with people, all of this is impossible. But with God, it's all possible. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ... You have already experienced the miraculous power of God in your life. He saved you. He was looking for you when you didn't even know you were lost. He he protected you when you thought you were just that smart. He's the one who dropped person after person in your life passage after passage around you to lead you to him he's the one who changed how you think and even what you believe have you ever taken a moment to think about all the stupid things you believe before you became a christian it's embarrassing it really is i mean have you thought about how god changed your desires and how he changed your priorities and how he's changed your perspective Have you thought about where you would have been had the hounds of heaven, grace, and mercy not run you down? Do you you ever think about where you would be today? Do you know when it is that we begin to realize the miraculous work that God did us? When you try to convince a lost person to see things from God's perspective. And you're talking to that person, you're like, why did they not get this? Like, it is so clear. Do they not see that what they're doing is going to lead to this? And, and they're being overwhelmed by it in the moment. And you're thinking, it's not that hard. It's just right here. And then all of a sudden, God says, remember where I found you. You were confused by the same things. You didn't understand the same things. And, and here's all. Oh, and then you, mm. And then God says, be patient with them. And you're like, I wasn't that dumb. He's like, no, you were. Be patient with them. It takes time for truth to come in, for God to change and to rework the way a person is seeing life. And when God begins to do that, you look back and you're like, it is a miracle that this happened. And that's exactly what God has done for us. Our lives, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is a living billboard for the power of God. You might say, but Paul, you don't know everything going on in my life right now. I don't. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there has been a sanctifying work that he has been doing from where he found you to where you are. And one day, we're going to step into eternity. And on this side of eternity, we're never going to be perfect. But by the grace of God, we will be more like Christ by the time we see him than what we were when he found us. 
So here's our next passage now that we got that one settled. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Turn with me there for just a moment. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The Apostle Paul spent three chapters getting up to this point, declaring God's limitless provision for his children. In the previous chapters, here's what he has helped believers to see. He reminds believers that when the Holy Spirit has empowered us, and Christ has indwelt us, and love has mastered us, and when God has filled us with his own fullness, then he is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. God's power is unlimited in the lives of those who are yielded to him. Did you hear that? It is unlimited in the lives of those who are yielded to him. They're willing for him to continue his work. They're not walking in constant rebellion. When God says, that's a sin, they say, I agree, that's a sin. When God says, stop here, they stop there. They're they're walking in this yielded state. So the Apostle Paul, in this section, he shows believers this incredible, unlimited power that is available to believers. So in verse number 20, I want you to look. I I did something very different in our, our outline on this. I want you to see the grammatical structure of what this particular verse actually looks like. It would read like this. Now, unto him that is able to do all. Now, somebody might say, well, I mean, what's really included in all? Well, all. Like, let's start there. And you're like, well, that's not that much. I mean, is that all for me? Is that all for you? Is that all for God? Able to do all. And then it goes on. Above all. Abundantly above all. Exceedingly abundantly above all. All of those are words to clarify what he means by all. Ruth Paxson called this verse a pyramid progression of God's enablement. And from the King James Version, she created this view. So it's almost visualizing a staircase of God's offer to us. So start at the top of this. Unto him that is able to do. That's the first part of our our key truth. God can do. Unto him who is able to do. All that we ask or think. God can do. We should ask. God can do. We should ask. Above all that we ask or think. Abundantly above all that we ask or think. Exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us. In verse 20, Paul is using every word he can figure out to try to explain the unlimited power that is available for the believer that is yielded to Christ. He begins by saying, God is able to do something. Now that word do, it means to make, cause, effect, bring about, accomplish, perform, provide, create. He is able to do. It's God who is doing. 
It is God who is acting. It is God who is causing. It is God who is enabling. It is God who is providing. That's God. That's what He can do. But then Paul adds another part to what God can do. He is able to do more than we ask or think. That's the statement on prayer. He's able to do more than you ask. When you ask God for something, that's called prayer. When you say, God, I have nothing more, that's a moment where God can say, let me take it here. When you're in that place of saying, God, I give up, he's like, let me do for you what you cannot do for yourself. God can do. There are entirely too many believers praying really cautious prayers. If they're praying at all. And there's, there's a part of this. One, they don't want to ask too much or go too far. Uh, part of that is because they, they don't want to look like a religious weirdo if they shared their prayer request with their friends. And the other part of that is they don't know if their soul can handle it if God actually says no. So instead, they, they minimize their prayers. They limit those prayers. They're cautious when they pray, they're like, well, well God, I'm just going to ask you to save this person. Well, why didn't you ask that God would save that family? Why didn't you ask that God would create a legacy of which tens of thousands of people come to know Him? If you're praying for your city, why stop with God, would you bless our city and provide jobs? Why not say, God, would you allow your spirit to move in this place to free people from addiction so that the gospel transforms a city, so that Sin City is known as those who have now been walking with God. They're saints in Christ. God, why not do something amazing? Because you can. But what do we do? We, we pull back. We're like, well, God, would you... Would you bless us at church on Sunday? That's cautious prayers. You know, after going through and preparing for this message and reading some of the prayers of people in the Bible, I found out that a lot of them did not get the cautious prayer memo. I'll give you a couple of examples. Abraham prayed that God's wrath would be withheld from Sodom and Gomorrah for a few righteous people that were there. Do you know what we often do in our prayers? If we see something that's unrighteous, we're like, God, go get them. Get me out first, but God, go get them. And here he prayed, God, would you withhold your wrath if there's 50 who are righteous, 40 who are righteous, 30 who are righteous. And God said, yes, 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 yes. Do you know how bold it has to be for somebody to go to God and say, would you withhold your wrath against sin? How about Moses? Moses actually prayed to see the glory of God. The very thing that could kill him. And what did God do? God said, come over here and stand in that crack. And God sheltered him in the cleft of a rock and allowed him to see the back of him as he passed by. Do you know how bold you have to be to say, God, if I see you in your face, I'm going to die. But can I see you anyway? Here's one for us as well. How about Hannah? Hannah prayed that God would bring life out of a barren womb. And God did it. 
Gideon prayed that God would cause the sun to stand still so that he could continue to bring victory for the army of God. And God did it. Samson prayed that God would give him extra human strength to make one final stand for God, and God gave it to him. Elijah prayed that God would bring fire from heaven to consume those who were taunting the holiness of God, and God dropped fire from heaven. The early church prayed, and thousands came to Christ, and prison chains fell off, and demon-possessed people were freed, and sick people were healed, and churches were birthed, and the gospel reached the ends of the earth inside of 20 years. Here it is. Our prayers are never too big for our God. Never too big. We cannot fathom a blessing or visualize an outcome or dream up a scenario in which God cannot accomplish if it be His will. When believers are filled by and submitted to the Spirit of God, we are better positioned to pray in accordance with His will. The Apostle Paul spoke of God doing great things, here it is, according to the power that works within us. It's the same word power, it's energy. It's actually spoken of in Ephesians 1.19, In fact, he just finished chapter 2 describing how the power of God brought two groups together that hated each other. The Jews and the Gentiles. And he just finished chapter 2 by saying, the power of God not only brought them together, but also built them into the holy temple of the Lord. Now why would I say that? We live in a time with more division happening in this country than I've ever experienced in my life. We, we live in a time when racial tension and political tension and ideological tension seems to be driving a deeper and deeper wedge in between people. And sometimes we look at, like, at that and we're like, this is just how it's going to be until the end. And here's the thing. God has already, He's already got a track record for bringing groups that hated each other together in the righteousness of God and doing something amazing through them. It's not even God's first rodeo on that side. The same effectual power of God, Paul says, is at work in the lives of believers. Now here's the problem. Many Christians have cut themselves off from the power source. It's not that the power of God is not available to them. It is that unbelief, unconfessed sin, and careless living have robbed us of God's power being fully expressed through us. Did you know that's a part of the reason we're asking believers to come back tonight? That's a part of the reason I wanted the first part of our time of prayer, this week of prayer, to be focused on the state of individual believers' souls To get people to stop long enough to say, are there things that have crept into your life unnoticed that are holding you back from experiencing deeper joy with God? Holding answers back in prayer. Holding back the power of God being fully used and released through you. So tonight, we're going to come back and we're going to sit before God and I'm going to walk people through a series of questions that do a checkup on the soul. After studying texts like this 
It's often tempting for believers to think that that kind of power or that kind of activity is it's really not available to all of us. That, that's kind of what God gives to the really spiritual giants, you know, like a David or, or maybe the Apostle Paul or Abraham or Moses. But surely that type of power is not available to everyday believers. And the Apostle Paul anticipated that type of spiritual self-deprecation. And here's how he says it. That same power is already at work in the lives of believers. He's praying these things according to His power that is at work within us. Is at work. Not will be. Is at work. Believers do not need to beg God for new power. We need to believe God for present power. We need to believe what He has already declared to be true. Now, I'm sure some people might be thinking, well, Paul, if you get all Christians hyped up and excited about praying big prayers and dreaming big dreams, and somebody's going to be praying for a Bentley, and somebody else is going to be praying for a house, and somebody else is going to just take it wild and crazy, and next thing you know, the whole theology of the church falls apart. I, I get that. I honestly do. But, but here's a couple of things that are built in that keeps that from happening. There's a sovereign God on the other end of that prayer request. And remember, no is absolutely an answer to prayer. So God can easily just say, no, we're going to stop that right now. But then there's something else here. And that is in His Word, He's already directed us to look back to His glory. Verse 21, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. John Stott said it like this, the power comes from Him. The glory must go to Him. So let's go back to our key truth as we close. God can do, we should ask. God's abilities are unlimited. For every single believer who's in the room right now, who's watching online right now, for every single believer, they have already experienced God doing the miraculous in their life when He saved them. The question is never, can he do? But always, will we ask? Will we ask? Will we bring our needs? Will we give our request to God? But what if God says no? Or what if God delays that answer? I want you to remember that God's answers are always filtered through his complete understanding, his unlimited power, and his sovereign will. He sees what we don't see. He knows what we don't know. And He is working things behind the scenes that we could not even fathom. Amen. Many of you have heard stories of one of the prayer giants of the last 200 years, a guy by the name of George Mueller. It seems like every story you hear about George Mueller is God giving him exactly what he prayed for. So there was this interview that once took place between George Mueller and Dr. A.T. Pearson. And Dr. Pearson asked George Mueller if he had ever prayed for anything that God had not answered. I like that question. Sometimes you're like, you see somebody in their prayer life is just rocking, it's hitting on all cylinders, and you're like, has God ever told you no? Feels like God tells me no all the time. Has he ever told you no? That's what Dr. Pearson was asking. And listen to this. With characteristic exactness, Mr. Mueller replied, 62 years, 3 months, 5 days. 
have passed since I began to pray for two men that they might be converted. I have prayed daily for them ever since, and as of yet, neither of them shows any signs of turning to God. Puzzled, Dr. Pearson asked, Do you expect God to convert them? Here's his reply. Certainly. Do you think God would lay such a burden on his child for 60 years if he had no purpose in their conversion? (laughs) Not long after George Mueller's death, Dr. Pearson was preaching at Bethesda Chapel. He shared that particular story. And as he was leaving, a lady came to him and he said, One of those two men to whom Mr. Mueller referred was my uncle. He was converted and died a few weeks ago. The other man just came to Christ in Dublin. Here's the thing. There is no expiration date on prayer. You might not live long enough to see God's answer, but even when you die, the prayers of God's people are still at His throne. God can do abundantly above all that we ask or think. God can do. We should ask. God can do. We should ask. So here's my question. What big thing what bold prayer are you asking God for right now what are you trusting him to do that if he doesn't step in it's not going to happen God can do we should ask if you have not already signed up on our week of prayer I want to encourage you go to our website today lifebaptistchurch.com right on the very front is a sign-up sheet for our week of prayer. Here's why I'm saying that. For this entire week, we want to systematically take people from an awareness of what God can do to focus on what's happening in their own soul. And once we address those things tonight, then we go over from there, and tomorrow we start praying as a church that God would do a work around us. Not only in us, but around us. Then we're praying, God, would you begin to do a work in this city? May it spill over out of the churches, outside of the walls of the churches. Then after that, we're praying, God, do a work in our country. And then we don't stop there because it's not just about America. We're saying, God, do a work in the nations. And then we begin to pray, like, what's it going to take for God to do a work in the nation? It's going to mean that somebody pays the price. There is a cost to living on mission with God. And then on next Saturday, we are praying that God is going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So that when we meet on Sunday morning and churches are meeting around the world on Sunday morning, we are praying tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We are praying that God brings revival in churches. We are praying that God does something in this generation that historians a hundred years from now will look back and say, here was a move of God. God can do. We should ask. God can do, we should ask. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we recognize that apart from you doing it, we can do nothing. We recognize, God, that you are completely unlimited in your abilities. We recognize for every single follower of Jesus today that we've already experienced at least one incredible miracle at the moment of salvation and there's been so many other things that you have done so many times that you have answered and come through that we never even had an idea about and then there's some that we do 
God, I pray that you would use our time today and through this week to encourage believers to keep coming back and saying, God, will you do this? Will you do this? Will you save my friend? Would you save their family? God, would you do more than I can ask or imagine? Lord, we know you can. And we pray that you would plant those seeds in us. In Jesus' name, amen.